One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. Good evening and welcome to Radio 4. This is the shipping forecast. No, no, stop, stop. It's the big interview as you knew all along. It's a clip show. We're going to look at something that came up over and over again in the first season of the big interview. Pretty much every guest we've spoken to in a big interview had a tale of transfers that went right, others that went spectacularly wrong, and some that fell through at the last minute. In this first section, you're going to hear Charlie Nicholas talk about Ron Atkinson's toothpick. The man with the golden toothpick. Three nipples too, I believe. Scaramang Atkinson. And how a move to Nice, or is that nice, went so off track that he ended up at the home of football. Petodri in Aberdeen. You beauty. Peter Beardsley's not being horrible, but his story of how he ended up at Manchester United, courtesy of George Best, is one of the finest on any podcast that I've been involved with. Peter ended up a toon legend, but, as Damien Duff will explain, his move to Fulham came about because... He could not get out of the northeast fast enough. Gary Mack. Well, Gary tells us about why he snubbed Brian Clough to move to an emerging Leeds United team. And Alan Pardew talks about how a car accident changed his life, literally, and led to his big move from non-league Yeovil to Crystal Palace. This is the big interview. Licensed to thrill. Love you. I love Arsenal. I'm more passionate about Arsenal than any other club because they treated me well. They were great people. It was the wrong choice at the wrong time. Liverpool, Spurs, Man United, Inter Milan were all there for me. I spoke to Liverpool a few occasions. Kenny and Sunis were kept and you have to come, you're perfect for us. Kenny says you'll take over my position. Uh, And I said, no, I won't because you'll play another four or five seasons. That's an incredible statement. Mm -hmm. It was, and it was mind-blowing to hear the King of Kings saying, saying that to me, but uh, I got very close to him and Sunis, and they kept saying to me, no, you'll be fine, you'll be fine, you'll fit in. You mm. won't be sitting on the bench like a lot of Liverpool signers do. But I, I couldn't trust that. I could trust my ability, but I couldn't trust the prospect that I might have to sit on the bench. When at 21, I'm, I just want out. Just I just want to play. Where can I play? I didn't want to go to Milan because I think the, the game would have been... Too defensive and too structured for me at 21. No doubt. Also, the lifestyle thing would have been quite a turnaround for me because I'm, you know, I'm a Glasgow social boy. And at 21 then, I still wanted to have a bit of a life. It was a very brutal league still. You know, a really brutal league. It, it was. And there were so many talented technical players that had gone there and struggled. Yeah. And I thought, no, if, if it does happen, maybe four or five years down the line, fair yeah. enough, yeah. when you're big enough to take it. But So for me, it was always going to be England. I met... Man United to I did think at first I probably would be drawn to my dad was in the newspaper industry worked at Express most of his life and then he got paid off and he was in between jobs and they were offered a role in Manchester 
And my dad said, maybe there's something significant. Yeah. So you, would, you will eventually move to Manchester. But I didn't particularly like Ron Atkinson. Without going over the score, I'm applauding deliberately because all uh, flashing of substance, a man I don't have a lot of admiration for and you wouldn't have enjoyed playing for. Well, no, I, I, I doubt it. I mean, he wasn't a particularly good conversationist because it was very much about him. <laughs> but we were sitting with Martin Edwards over a steak dinner and we were an international team and Jock Steen had let me go for dinner with him. It was steak and chips. The three steak and chips came. Ron went into his shirt and messed about with something and then brought this kind of medallion out. I thought, what's he got, a knife and fork in there or something? I mean, what What it was, he'd finished his dinner and he had a little, it was like a little cross thing, but he had a button at the top of it and this toothpick came out. And he started scraping his teeth and I thought, oh my God, am I seriously, I could not play for a man like you. No. That's absolutely ridiculous. And I could not wait to get out of the restaurant to get away. But Martin Edwards had to take me back. So it was the most ridiculous thing I'd ever seen in my life. It's so out of kilter with a club built by Matt Busby. So out of kilter with a club that then later supported Alex Ferguson when he needed time mm-hmm. to, to show that intelligence and, and brilliance. And unfortunately, a colleague of ours, Terry Gibson, a fantastic lad, mm-hmm. ended up playing for Ron and found him deceitful and a coward mm-hmm. and addicted to sunbeds during training sessions when well, he he's addicted. I think Ron was probably addicted to himself in many ways and that addiction was that whatever he said went now I, I know a lot of guys who work with him who think he's a really nice guy good character and some are very complimentary I take people as a fine and that one meeting I had with, with Ron it was all about Ron in all honesty I didn't I didn't really look that I, I was interested in going back to Aberdeen <laughs> the, reason, the reason being I always felt that the right thing for me was eventually Europe yeah, and uh, I'd went to Toulon, spoken to Toulon and Nice over a fine dinner, and nice bottle of wine. Uh, we were Arsenal treasurer called Ken Fryer and uh, my agent, and we'd agreed in principle I would go there and play in Toulon, and went back. And George Graham and myself, George was into discipline, but he over exaggerated. Yes, for a meeting with George, and George was running a mile. And he wasn't a disciplinarian; he disciplined you in front of the players, but not have a meeting with you afterwards. You know, so uh, that was George. So I always asked for a meeting. Brian Clough tried to take me to Notts Forest and Jim Smith was trying to take me to Derby. And George wouldn't have any. He just, he cancelled my, my deal with Toulon. Worried about you coming back? What are you? Well, I, I possibly, but the Toulon thing made sense because I wasn't going to be seeing fair, him. Fair, fair, but fair he, comment. He, he, he knew I was going to be living in, in Nice. It was just like, as if he was so jealous. I'm not letting him go. That's too nice for him. <laughs> so he, he kiboshed it and said, oh, no, I might use him. Yeah, he kiboshed it and I couldn't believe it. I never got to meet him afterwards. In fact, I've seen him in Sky a few years later, but I still never spoke to him. But uh, so in the end, I just I was three months into the season, and then he was sending me to Cambridge University with a third team, and I was sitting on the bench, and just ridiculous how he did that. As I say, we never had a conversation, so there's no fallout. Uh, and then I, I just said, I just want to go and play. Go play, right? So I had to see number two was a guy Steve, Steve Burtonshaw, who was his dealer. In terms of who was in, who was out, he would say who's happy, who's not. And I said, look, I just want to go. I just want, just, I just want out here. And then they blocked those moves, uh, and I'd heard about those moves, and he, he denied them. And then in December there was talk about Aberdeen, and I thought, I, I just need, I need to get. I don't want to get out of the club, but I could see that George was building something. Which is going in a, maybe in a different. And way. I knew my, my my time had come, and I'm not one for hanging about. It was a conversation with old Dick Donald. It was a stunning old man. <laughs> Manager was weird, God rest him, Ian Porterfield. He was quite unpredictable, was fieldy. Yep. But still the history and the fabric of the club was still a club of intense interest to me. And more importantly, there was still Leighton, Miller and McLeish all there. So the fabric of the club was still with the right people. So I don't think I was ever actually taking a gamble because the one thing I always wanted to prove if I was coming back, even for a two-year, two-and-a-bit-year spell was that I could still win things. And that was the most important thing to me. I did find it hard to adapt in the first six months or so. But the turning point for me at Aberdeen was Gilhouse. Mm. Gilhouse was just tremendous stunning for me. Footballer. Oh, yeah. tremendous for me. Yeah. Great athlete, nice enough guy, mm-hmm. quiet, but I could bring out the best in him and he could bring out the best in me in the field. And it was a career changer, Hans Gilhouse signing for me. It got me back believing in what I was doing was the right things. I was never going to be prolific then. I was scoring important goals again, and that was the issue of that. But the Rangers 
win with Paul Mason getting the two goals and me setting them up for the winner was a big, big statement for us because we blew the one the year before when I first came. We should have beat Rangers that day. David Robertson gave away the crazy penalty. So it could have been three titles, but we should have pushed more for the league. But I was really, really pleased with my time. I built a house in Peter Cooter. I really loved Aberdeen. I settled in well. And the fans took it. They always knew I was a Celtic fan. When I scored against it, I never celebrated. But they knew exactly. But the cheer for winning the Scottish Cup when I knew I was leaving was at the town hall was oh, just one on penalties. That, yeah, that was a choker. The reason I ended up going to Manchester United was we played San Jose. Yeah. In San Jose, and George Best was playing George, for San Jose. Yeah. Yeah. I scored a hat trick. It was American Independence Day. It's July the fourth, and I scored a hat trick. And he actually said to me after the game, George Best, what part of Canada are you from, son? And I honestly thought, wow, you see this? I said, I'm from Newcastle. Newcastle in England? I said, yeah. He went, you're kidding me. He said, I'm going to ring Man United. That's, That's what he actually said to me. He did. He rang Man United. Well, how did you feel went, in that moment? I mean, you must have been walking I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure. Well, as he just said that, like, to be nice, he reiterated three or four times, I'm going to ring Man United. Really going to ring my name. He now, was incredible. He would have been at that That was 81. Stage. So that was 4th of July, 81. Had Sexton gone? Was it was Ron Atkinson. Atkinson had already taken over. It was over. Ron Atkinson, yeah. Right. And, and to be fair to Ron, he was, he was all right. And it came about because of that. And then he'd rang him. And then what happened was Man United came over for pre-season. And ah. they played on our AstroTurf. OK. And I scored a goal after 13 seconds. And Man United kicked off. The ball went back to Gordon McQueen. I put him under pressure. He fell over on the AstroTurf. And I scored after 13 seconds, scored again later in the game. We won 3 1. Wait, wait, wait a sec. And then I in the future, up... I, I kind of have the aspiration of inviting Big Gordon to one of these interviews. Yeah, yeah. Gordon, I'd like to make clear that neither of us are mocking the fact that you fell no, over no, in the absolutely. Astro-term. No, no. And to be fair, <laughs> I'm to him, only kidding. Well, obviously, when I went back there, he was there. Yeah. Big go go, and he, he was brilliant. And he said, it was because of me that you're here, by the fact that I fell over. On which subject? Here's your first quiz. Name the 11th player. The 10 are Bailey, Duxbury, Alberston, Wilkins, Moran, McQueen, Robson, Grimes, Stapleton, Moses and... I'm guessing me. Peter Beers. Yeah, me one appearance against Bournemouth, I guess. Now, one of our guests very successfully on the big interview has been Harry Redknapp. Tell us how Harry Redknapp ruined your Manchester United Absolutely, career. 100%. <laughs> it was incredible. You and I are now, like, if you look at that picture behind you, we can see the six-yard line of a box. We can. And basically, this ball is coming across the six-yard box, and I'm about to tap it in on my debut for Man United. Thinking, this is in the here Milk we go. Cup. In the Milk Cup, Against yeah. Bournemouth. Against Bournemouth, yeah. And I'm thinking, here we go, happy days. Nigel Spackman was playing for Bournemouth as well, I think. Who, uh, obviously, I ended David Webb? With. Yeah, David Webb. And the ball comes across the box and I'm thinking, happy days. <laughs> I, I thought, I've never, ever been in the six-yard box in my life. And I'm thinking, wow, here we go. Old Trafford, what dreams are made of. And as you rightly said, Harry Redknapp ruined my big day by scoring an own goal. <laughs> and honestly, never played another game. <laughs> I never played another game, honestly. <laughs> Harry! Honestly, it was incredible. Never played another game, but we won 1-0. And we were poor, to be fair. Substituted and, uh, by? Yeah. I would imagine Norman Whiteside, was it? What do you mean, I would imagine? This yeah. is a first meeting and a first yeah, yeah. chat, but I think you... People well, have told me you have a sharp, sharp football brain. Yeah, yeah. Norman Whiteside, In them days, there was only one soup. And obviously, I took his place, because he was a superstar then. Uh-huh. You know, sadly, he got a bad injury, but yep. he, was a, he was an absolute superstar. Fantastic football. And, and to be fair to Man United, and I have to say it genuinely, Graham, they made the right decision at that time, because I was in the reserves with Mark Hughes. You know, so they had Mark Hughes there, they had Scott McGarvey there, so they had other players. So I wasn't annoyed, I wasn't... Different skills? Yeah, but to be fair to Mark Hughes, when you look at what he went on to do for Man United, you know, you, you can understand. The 250000 I talked about going to Carlisle, to Vancouver, Manchester United paid the same yeah. to Vancouver, but the deal was, if I went back, then Man United got the 250000 back. And what happened was... Vancouver Whitecaps made £18,000 interest on that 250000 So that was all they got, really, £18,000. But, I mean, Vancouver, in a nice way, were quite pleased because they were happy for me to be going back and I had two more great years there and then I ended up obviously going to Newcastle. But Wow, you've already mentioned a number of picture-bit moments. You scored brilliant goals on the 4th of July and George Best said, I'm going to ring Man United about you. Not. 
But if you're coming home, Newcastle have seen sense. And having said no the first time and let you go, not only do you come back, but you come back in, in an environment that we're not really used to right now. I've obviously seen it three times in my lifetime, yeah. but the two are on the up. Everything's going. Keegan's there. Chrissy Wardle's coming through. You come back. It was incredible, Graham, because obviously I get the phone call off Arthur Cox. Mm-hmm. Easily now, mm-hmm. you could listen to anybody talk around the world. So if somebody said, Arthur Cox is going to ring you now, you could listen to his voice somewhere. But I didn't have a clue. I really didn't know it was Arthur mm-hmm. Cox. He said it was him. <laughs> and I honestly, after the Terry Yorick thing, I'm thinking, wow, somebody's winding me up here. <laughs> Genuinely. There wasn't like a tapping up situation where somebody rings you and says, Arthur Cox is going to ring you. Would you go to Newcastle? There was none of that. Seriously, I got a phone, phone call out of the boat. And uh, he said, it's Arthur Cox here. And I'm thinking, he's winding me up. And so anyway, eventually I realised it's him. And he said, uh, I want you to come and play for Newcastle. And at the time, genuinely, I was on £400 a week in Vancouver, which, a lot of money in mm. terms of 1981. Yeah. You know, and happy with that. That's, like, that's not bad. Yeah, absolutely. Accommodation was paid for, you know, everything. It was brilliant because my wife and family and obviously her family, my family, we were allowed to bring two of them out every year to stay with us and go back and like they would get four flights paid for, basically. So... Everything was perfect, honestly, you couldn't... So Arthur's talking to me and, you know, and he said, I know what you're getting, I know you're getting £400 a week. He said, we'll look after you. I was so naive, I didn't say, like, what am I going to get, what's yeah. the deal, yeah. yeah. I said, yeah. And he, he said, Kevin Keegan, you know, play alongside Kevin Keegan, you know, that's got to be perfect for you and all that. So anyway, I then get into London, Sandra and I, and we get the shuttle up to Newcastle, obviously the, the British Airways shuttle, and unbeknown to me, Kevin Keegan's on the plane. Genuinely, on my kid's life, he's on the plane, and I ain't got a clue. So anyway, and then halfway through the journey, only an hour left, flight, Kevin Keegan comes to see Sandra and I, and he said, uh, you're the one that Arthur's been causing me nightmares about. Thinking, wow, that's not a good start. But what he said was, he's been ringing me through the night, telling me it's going to happen, and I'm going to bring this superstar, and he's going to be your partner, and we're going to get promotion. And he said, like, I hope you're good. And he said, but we'll find out tomorrow, because that was going to be my first day training. So I'm thinking, wow. No but pressure. Was, oh, yeah, I'm thinking, wow, this can't be right. Because he wouldn't have had a clue who I was. Somebody obviously on the flight, and I mean this in a nice way, must have told him who I was. I don't know how. I don't know because how that came about. Again, for, there's no internet, is what we're saying. No, no, absolutely. So in other words, yeah, this yeah. thing about Arthur's yeah, yeah. voice, absolutely. whether it was Terry Pulley yeah, or yeah. Frank, or, yeah, yeah. or Kevin knowing who I was, yeah. things were different. Absolutely. And Kevin wouldn't have even known what I looked like. Yeah. Like Arthur said, I'm going to bring Peter Beersley back. And he actually publicly admitted, as a Newcastle player, he didn't have a clue who I was. And, and that's fine, i got no problem with that. But anyway, he said he's been giving me nightmares. He's been ringing me all sorts of time. Because obviously the time difference when he's speaking to me, he's then ringing Kevin like 2, 3 in the morning because he's excited. It's going to happen. So anyway, come back, go to meet Arthur Cox at St. James's. Joe Harvey was still there, still around. And Jackie Milburn. Jackie Milburn was working for the News of the World. And so, obviously, I'm going to do a little press conference, nothing on the scale of what they do now. But Had you met Jackie before? No, never met him. So Big stuff. Absolutely. So, walking up the steps at St. James's, and Jackie Milgren said to me, the only thing they ever ask, son, is you give your maximum and you run around. I said, well, I'll definitely do that. I said, I've got no problem. Yeah. If that's all they want, I'll be all right. And he said, no, no, I feel good things. He said, you'll be better than all right. And he was really, really it positive. How did you end up there? What was the actual moment when somebody said, listen, did you fancy him? Yeah, it was probably me chasing a move away from Newcastle. I scored the goal that sent him down. Like, when that went in, I was just like, my God, I can't put nothing more into this. And I don't know. Like, I'm a big believer going deep, like the law of attraction, just positive. And, I like that, yeah. And me there, I guess I was there, what was it, three years, I'm like, fucking this is awful, I need to get out of here, it's so bad, I'm not enjoying it, and eventually, I just brought it all up upon myself, and <laughs> I said, scored the OG, the centre now, I thought, what the hell, so I did pre-season, Chrissy Uton was there, but I just thought to myself, you just need to get out, and... It's actually, in life, it's probably an unhealthy situation yeah, to be in. Yeah, well, I remember knowing I was going to get a bad injury, I just knew it, I told a few people, I was like, something bad's going to happen to me, like, I think any walk of life and any job, you just bring it upon you. These positive people that go out and are amazing, 
it's because they're positive and it comes back to them. And I ended up getting a bad injury about two weeks later. I was out for 10 months, dislocating my foot. I was just like, you need to sort your head out, me. And the only way in the end was just to leave Newcastle and go mm-hmm. to Fulham. And it was me probably chasing a move. It wasn't even Roy looking for me. It was my agent, obviously, was with Roy Hodgson at Blackburn. And he says, yeah, we'd love to have Damien down here. And again, I like massive wage cut. I was obviously on a good deal at Newcastle. I think I more than half my wages. Yeah. But I just want to go play, enjoy, be happy, get married and, and start a family. And I, I just need to get away from Newcastle to do that. And the minute I met Roy, it was straightforward enough. It was yeah, amazing coach. He's like one of my, I guess, fathers, dads in football, you call him. Would you have been affected by the fact that Gordon was already there. How well did you know Gordon? Uh, clearly, I suppose, Leeds coming up, Howard, a man of integrity and, and a guy with a reputation, that might have tempted you anyway mm. before anybody ever talked about salaries or anything like that. But would playing next to Gordon have been something that went as a balance in your mind or was it a completely new experience? No, Gordon was massively influential in my decision-making to come to Leeds United. I'd, bearing in mind, the night before I signed for Leeds United, I was in a hotel bar nearly signing for Brian Clough in Nottingham Forest so my mind was made up to go if I wanted to play for Brian Clough but, mm. but Brian was at that stage in his life where things were just starting to drop away and I'd missed the great Brian Clough unfortunately and things deteriorated in that meeting you could judge that I could judge that I could feel that my agent could feel it and we looked at the room there was Alan Hill and Ron Fenton and they could feel it as well hindsight you know and time to reflect yeah. now I look back and I'd love to have played for Brian Clough and his pomp you know what he achieved at Forest was unbelievable, but that didn't happen. So Leeds came in, and striking was a big part of my decision. I'd obviously played against them the previous season with Leicester City in the old second division. I had a good record against Leeds, and I thought obviously that's where I've caught Howard's eye. And it was there was a one of Jock Wallace's staff at Leicester City, Ian McFarlane, had moved to Leeds United under Howard, and he was obviously he was a Belsall boy and a Lanarkshire boy, and he was pushing my name into Howard Wilkinson so there was a few wee things that were saying this this could be the right and as soon as I met Howard and met the chief executive I could feel there was momentum here in Leeds they'd come up out of the second division as I said nine years of absence one club city I just felt right you know and, and I signed So I ended up at Yeovil and uh, enjoyed it but of course I was working I was up at 7 midweek game so I just go for a midweek game at Yeovil and we'd play every week every midweek because you know Yeovil was like the Manchester United of non-league so we had Western Cup Isthmian Cup league games etc etc so I had midweek game every week so 7 o'clock would get up I would work hard sometimes have about 10 minute lunch period so I could finish at quarter to three get in my car Drive to Yeovil. Hope, fingers crossed, that 303 wasn't iced over in the winter. Touch and go. Touch and go. Get there late a few times. Play a game. Get in my car. Drive back for two and a half hours. Arrive home. I don't know. Half twelve, one o'clock. Sometimes later. And then and then start work the next day. And it was on one of those journeys home in midwinter when I was driving home and bizarrely. Something had happened in the road and there was cones literally everywhere. So someone banged them or something, mm. pushed them around. And it got stuck under my front wheel. I spun around about eight times in my car, ended up in a ditch. No, not a scratch on the car, not a scratch on me. It really was like, oh, I can't let this, I can't do this. Yeah. And I kind of went back to Yeovil and said, look, I, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Transfer list and uh, Palace decided to come for me. Those two things were kind of pivotal uh, in, in Miguel's pass, Palace. You know, I spoke to, I, I don't want to name him on this, but I spoke recently to, to a Premier League player who, who spent some of his holidays working with friends who are joining us because he's obsessed with creating something, doing something practically with his hands. <coughs> now, that's not what you did, but you were very successful and very good at what you were doing. And was there any doubt about commercially... It was a doubt because when Ron offered me two hundred pound less than I was getting as a builder and, a, and as a player, well, that's not that was a lot of joke. money. Then that was a lot. Now of money. you can laugh about it, but that's a big decision. Yeah, I really kind of I was like I was pleading with him to say, look, you know, come on, I earn almost twice this what I'm getting 
Anyway, I decided to, to take a chance. He promised me they'd look after me if I did well. What influenced that was good enough you? for me. What, 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 what swung the decision for you? There was no decision. He really and truly probably offered me £100 a week and I was signed. <laughs> so it didn't really matter. But it did matter because at that time I'd committed to a house, I had a car, so I had certain things I had to pay for. So, but he was good to his word. He looked after me. You know, I, I didn't do well for the first sort of six months. It took me a while to break in. Once I broke in and did well, he, he gave me a new contract. So, you know, he was good to his word. In normal circumstances, I'd say that football's a capricious business. And the tales of moves that don't happen, or very often nearly happen, are as captivating as the deals that do eventually go through. Jordy Morris's exit from Chelsea was a saga. He eventually ended up at Leeds, but only after failed deals to team up with Graham Souness and Harry Redknapp. Darren Fletcher talks about the collapse of a move to Valencia and how much of a massive regret that was. Then... Michael O'Neill looks back on how an early Bosman switch to Sturm Graz hit the buffers. Those buffers. When you look at your moment with the contract offer and not staying, do you wish you'd been stubborn and said, no, I'm going to tough it out here at Chelsea, even though I feel a little bit disrespected? Or do you say that, you know, because I, I look at you now and I watch... You know, your career subsequently. You've obviously had a happy, successful playing career, except that, given your ability, you probably should have run a midfield for England. Probably yeah. should have been sitting here uh, with X many years at Chelsea. No, How do you view I'm, it with respect? No, I'm the first one to say, to be fair, I should have done a lot more in my career. I, don't, I have hold no bones about it. I should have done miles more. I made mistakes off the pitch. I made mistakes when talking about contracts are concerned the, the one at Chelsea it was making a decision I was at because I, I could have left two or three times before that I did and I had a contract offers that was then taken away because of stuff that had been reported uh, two years before I left and, and they said look we can't be seen to giving you a there was a load of rubbish written about 9-11 that we'd done X, Y, Z me, John that pathetic so they, the, a contract offer was taken away they, I then got offered another contract that was less than what they offered me a year and a half before and I'm like, how does that work? One, I'm uh, further on in my career. I'm older. I'm playing. I'm do- I'm doing well. And two, it was it was kind of like I know what you're paying some of the these boys that are coming in. By the way, the homegrown players. That's one thing I can't say. The homegrown players back in the day, there we got tucked right up as far as contracts were concerned. It's not like now where you you, you get looked after quite nicely. So um, as I said, it was a a tough decision to come to because actually leaving the club that I supported and loved was. A horrible decision but I was only going to leave because I'd actually met Graham Soonis and shook his hand on a deal to sign for Blackburn otherwise I was going to sign lump it sign the deal that was measly compared to anybody else that was in my position at the, t- at the time at the club effectively I was the longest serving player so I felt I deserved I didn't want parity at all I wasn't asking for any that some of the big boys were on I just wanted to be somewhere I'm- in between of where as I said, I was going into like 160, 170th game and they were offering me less than five times what people were getting who weren't even in. I'm looking at season 98, 99 here because I had a little check. You started at least 20, 21 games. You never lost once. Yeah, you never no, lost I'm, a single yeah, game. Yeah, I mean, as I said, it was it, that side of it, but I still would have stayed. It was literally because I, I, I was always the midfielder that... And and I I don't mind being. It was at a time when we played four in midfield, so the two central midfielders were was always. I'd always be like the third, you know. It was like Wising and Di Matteo, and then I would come in, and then then you'd see Deschamps come in, and he would play. So that, ultimately, I played a bit more than him. That's well, the one not, I couldn't not, understand. No, and to be fair, that's one I I wouldn't have. I've with. never understood it. And and. That was it, as period, yeah. He, At his he, stage he never, of his career, he then, never played. He never offered anything he close to what you he didn't. did. But you'd and Gus as well. Yeah, yeah Gus. Licking goals. He left or he'd go in. Yeah, Gus was class, but, and he'd play in central midfield. So anyway, it was... But then they, then we had Lance and Petit, and, and I'd be like... Me and Lance played, I think it was something like six games together, and, and we'd won five and drawn one. And it was under Claudio, and I was like... I was on... I, I felt I was on fire. Lance was doing well, and... And it was like Petit come back from injury, and I felt Petit was not the Arsenal player no, um, he, at all, no. or maybe the Barcelona one. I, I, no, he, he didn't show it. Well, well, that's what I mean. No. And he wasn't a top player for Chelsea, and wasn't performing. And I thought, when your team's doing well, 
and I'm actually doing well myself. And I got I got left out again. It was always I was that one. And don't get me wrong, it, I wouldn't mind playing. I think my last year at Chelsea under Claudio, I, I started 30 games. So it's like in today's football, for somebody starting 30 games, you say, oh, that's that's not bad. In, in a in a team that finished third in the league and qualified for the Champions League, that's probably good going. But it was the fact that I would get dropped. There was one time where Claudio was playing. Sam Delabono ahead of me and it was because he could speak Italian bottom line is Claudio that's no disrespect to Sam what a great lad and a good footballer but I knew that I, will, I should have been playing ahead of, ahead of Sam at the same time as I said I, I'd taken so many knocks like that nothing to do with the, foot, the money at then but then when it does get to the money and you've got to talk about money because ultimately that's what a contract is is your years that you're playing football for but then you've got to agree on what the money is and when, when they was offering me peanuts compared to everybody else it was like I'm actually asking for peanuts, but they're offering me even less. And as I said, Graham Soonis got in touch with me, agent. Went to meet Graham Soonis. He said that I would play week in, week out. I'll be one of the first names on the team sheet. He's, in, he's another in the category of what we talked about, of Hoddle and Luca and Hula in his own way. I mean, an impressive, magnetic man, irrespective of his achievements as a footballer. Yeah. When you're in his presence, yeah. you kind of feel no, something exactly. special. And, 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 yeah, and that's, listen, when I watch Graham Soonis, I'm glued to the box now yeah, to see what he, yeah, what he yeah. wants to say. For me, he was a legend of a player, a legend of a guy on the, on the box. But I went to meet him and we had Andy Cole up top. Duffers was there. And, and it was, he said that he made a joke of like, blimey, we'd be nightmare on corners because we had Duffers, David Dunn, you and David Thompson, remember Tomo from Liverpool? Yeah, yeah, and he went, Marmy Field, oh, it would be a nightmare from corners or something like that. And it was like, yeah, shook his hand, never got to money. I said, I don't want to get to money. My agent had told me, look, you'll get more at Blackburn than what Chelsea are offering you and you're going to be playing week in, week out. Brilliant. And it was like the hardest thing for me ever to do, but it was for the love of football, really. I was just going to go and play for my career and think, right, OK, can, can I be the one that might have a six out of ten a couple of games in a row and won't get dropped or yeah. like do you know what I mean one yeah, of type of players sure. so I told Chelsea I weren't going to sign unless they offered me something reasonable and it kind of dragged on dragged on and Chelsea asked me look are you going to sign and I said no but it was because I'd shook hands with Graham soon as he said I wanted to meet you face to face I wanted to see the whites of your eyes and we're shaking on a deal like men and I was like okay I thought he is the manager for me and then from nowhere between the chief executive at Blackburn to my agent and Graham Soonis, it all fell through. I even rang Graham. I got a number off Ray Wilkins. Ray's a honey. Do you need you to get me Graham Soonis' <laughs> number? Because my agent was saying, no, there's no offer come through. They said it was supposed to be fact through. And I rang Graham Soonis, spoke to him. He went, oh, I really respect this. You rung me. You've been an adult about it. I said, I'm worried that it's fell through because you've seen me play the last couple of weeks. I think I was crap for a couple of games. He said, no, no, not at all. He said, your agent hasn't returned the offer I then speak to my agent again there has been no offer so everything was lost and it that kind of dragged on but when I spoke to Graham Soonis it was like he put me at ease he went don't worry son we'll get this done I said look even if I have to come up and do it myself forget agents forget chief executives money and all that I said I just want to I want to play I love of playing I have to say next minute nothing happened Chelsea are pushing me pushing me you got a sign it was like I ring Graham Soonis again about probably about a month later saying look my agent's still saying nothing's been sent through and I ring the number and it goes doo doo <laughs> the number didn't ring so it was like I went from if as I said I'd already committed to Chelsea that I was going to leave Wisey was on to me he'd already left the club but he rang me up and was saying uh, where was he Leicester then no, or yeah Leicester, yeah, Leicester. Yeah. and he wound me up and I've heard your deals fell through at Blackburn would you go Portsmouth with Harry and I said yeah because I'm I'm left in the lurch now. I ain't got a club. I've, he'd, he'd have loved Chelsea. He'd have let you play. As Chelsea well. have just announced. Trevor Birch had just announced I've, I've left the club. So it was almost like I need to sort something out. Portsmouth was still in the Premier League, or they yep. just got promoted, I think. So rang Harry. He said, "Would you want to sign?" I said, "Yeah." And he said, "All right. Well, what are you doing tomorrow?" It was like a Sunday. What are you doing tomorrow? I said, oh, "I'm going away on holiday. I've been waiting to before I go away on holiday. I need a holiday. When you get back, I'll sign you, son." And then he didn't get back to me either when I got back so I'm, as I said that's the funny side of football I can't tell you why it fell through or why they didn't reply to me why the number chat I couldn't tell you any of that it was a shame because as I said when you're talking about Graham Soonis and Harry Redknapp they're, they're two people that are obviously look up to and absolute legends of the game but it just A lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend 
But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps to Detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. The sad thing for me, given that I live in Spain, is that you very nearly ended up, you were close to ending up in La Liga. Mm. The Valencia thing was real. Um, it was at a time when you were already tempted to move, to, I think, to get more football, not to get away from United. West Brom are a far better club, bigger club. <laughs> hello, West, hello, Tony. <laughs> hello, West Brom's fans. But Valencia would have been fun if it had come off. It, it, what was the situation and, and to what degree were you tempted? I was extremely tempted, you know. I would have thought it would have been a fantastic challenge for me personally, mm. and uh, a fantastic club. You know, mm. I was really excited about everything about it. it. It started very early in the transfer window as well. It was probably one of the first options I had, and for me, it was like, wow, if that could happen, mm. I would love that to happen. It would be great. What a challenge for me and my family, and everything about it to go and play in, in Spanish football for one of the biggest clubs in Spain. Sturm Graz in Austria. What was the story with them and you? <laughs> it's an interesting, it's funny how, how things work in football and the timing of things is, is crucial. But when I was in the last year of my contract at Hibs, I was keen to, to leave. I wanted to get back to England. The Premier League was, was, was starting, you know, or it had been three or four years in, or I wanted a new experience or something. And it was the first year of Bosman. Bosman came in at Easter. And it changed Hibs's kind of... Um, view of the whole contract negotiations you know, suddenly they're going we might lose him now for nothing because I think it wasn't previously Mark McGee had been at Leicester and, and he had bid quite a substantial amount of money for me to take me south again and Hibbs had knocked it back I was a bit disappointed at how that had happened and you know I, I kind of wanted that opportunity but ironically I was a Bosman in Europe but I wasn't a Bosman in the UK because it took another year. It did. So, for instance, I couldn't go to a Premier League club for nothing, but I could go to an Austrian team or a French. So I spoke to three teams. One, one was uh, a Swiss team, uh, St. Gallen, oh, yeah. another team, uh, Gengon in, in France, and I spoke to Sturm Graz. And uh, the Sturm Graz one was the one that, that really appealed because they were an ambitious club. They had a good financial model. It had come off the back of we had played Austria in the last European qualification game in, in Belfast and I had I had scored two on the night and the game actually knocked Austria out of the, the chance to go to the Euros in, in 96 so they had remembered that game and uh, but it, it, it broke down at the last minute because the coach was a Yugoslavian and he had a Yugoslavian player that he wanted you know so there was a bit and it kind of stalled a little bit and in the period of it stalling Coventry came in and it was Gordon Strachan that had come in Ron Atkinson was the manager but Gordon was being obviously groomed to take the job and I think he was already sort of operating in terms of bringing players in he seized on the opportunity and, and probably got me out of Hibs for you know, less money because Hibs will turn up and be well if he goes to Austria we're going to get nothing, nothing. if he goes to Coventry we, we're at least going to get something uh, decent so that's kind of how it happened really and uh, you know I went, I went south but it's one of those things again that I, I often wish that I'd taken up the opportunity to go abroad, I definitely think. The spirit of adventure, if nothing yeah, else, the discovery. To, yeah, totally, exactly. And, and to experience a different, a different culture, a different language, and, and, and a different way in, in how football is, 
I suppose what it means in a country as well. Like what, what part does football play in society in that country the same way as what we see it, you know, here? Ignore all that nonsense about vitamins and clean living and you'll go blind. Good recruitment is the key to success in life. No, in the transfer market. And David Moyes has partially built his excellent management career on discovering and polishing uncut gems. His last signing for Everton, John Stones. That earned them a penny or two. Here, David breaks down the process, tells us about the integral nature of how to make a good signing, while Jamie Carragher reflects on the experiences of Liverpool's signing policy and why he'd sign a supposed troublemaker like Craig Bellamy every day of the week. I remember a phone call when Andrew Herrera's people had asked me to make sure you knew very close to the end of the, mm-hmm. the deadline that you'd just taken over the job, this kid wants to come to your club. Mm-hmm. And you said something that I think has helped me understand why it is that you've got an extremely good track record of spotting players. And when we chatted, you said, I know the player. 18 months ago, I was intensely following the player and would have been something I could have said, yes, we'll do that deal. Now what I'd like is just to see is he over his, his growing pain, his operation. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take 9, 12 months to study him. You set that in motion. They've now got a very, very good player. Ander did want to come. Do you think you've got a knack at sending players because of an eye, because of hard work? Mm-hmm. What is it that you've got that generally allows you to bring players to a club like Everton for Fellaini, double mm-hmm. Everton's money? Stones, I think, was probably the last... Stones was, Stones was the last signing before we left. He's yeah. going to go for a couple of bob more than you sign him? If they sell him, yeah. yeah. Something like 27 yeah. million yeah. more than you. Now, I'm not bumming you up. These are facts. Yeah. And, and some managers and coaches mm-hmm. and scouts don't have that ability. Tell me a little bit about the process and why you're good at it. We worked really hard on bringing players in. I think that if you don't have a good, a good recruitment, you know, you'll fail as a manager. So your recruitment is, the, is critical. So you need to have people who are good at their job, they need to work very hard, some you hope might have an eye for a player. I built up a staff who had different types. I knew and I would bounce them off and we would be in the room arguing all the time about players. Mm. Somebody would be saying, ah, he's good enough, and I'm saying no, and somebody else would say, no, he's not. And I wanted to find, I wanted to get to the right answer as often as I could. Quite often, you know, I didn't take players, and quite often I signed the wrong ones, so not all the players we signed were good. But... I do know that we signed a lot of really good players. You know, we took a lot of younger boys from the lower leagues in England because we wanted to give them a career. We wanted to try and develop them ourselves. Like we said, is we didn't have the money to go and buy someday more than five million at that time. So we were having to look round to see what we thought could be good. So a lot of the players we bought were round that price. Sometimes Bill could find a little bit more cash now and again and we could do something. But overall... I had really good people, recruitment people. I think all clubs now have got that. Not all signings are correct, as we can see. I think at times you have to go yourself. That's the phrase I was angling for, because you said to me about Ander, eyes on, I have to have my own eyes on if I'm going to spend Mm -hmm. 30 million quid on a player. Yeah. So that's the extra element, that you take all the information from your team and then you put yourself in the mix. When you lose your job, it's the coach who loses their job. It mm-hmm. tends not to be the chief scout or it tends not to be head of recruitment or yeah. whatever. And rightly so, the coach is the guy who works the team, practices with the team every day. But also, if that's the case, then you know you have to be the one who gets a chance to say, I want him or not. And then what you do is you get a player in, you, you, you take responsibility. Yes, I, I brought him in, he's my player, I now need to work him. So I, I do know that over the years we had to work really hard and that's why, hey, we missed a lot of players. But I'll tell you what, if people knew the players I've spoken to and had either talking to them in, in hotels or meeting them at the house, or over the years I've had loads of good players. Some we've not taken because we don't think they were right for the club. Some we couldn't get because maybe the money or a bigger club had come. But I always think that the key to it is any good players out there you've got to be close to being around or in for. I think at Everton we were very close to that most of the time. I want to question you again about something that has been a bugbear of mine and of yours at Liverpool, which is the whole idea of recruitment, how you recruit players. And there's a couple of anecdotes in your book about Stan Collymore and they haven't researched where he wants to Mm -hmm. live and so on. And then there's all the way through 
players who weren't good enough to play for Liverpool who were signed up to today with Balotelli who hasn't worked mm. and then you get your club selling Luis Suarez who's had one of the most controversial times in Britain come to the city where I work and he's about to win the treble but if you took a look at recruiting that player based on his actions at Ajax you, you probably shouldn't mm-hmm. what is recruitment of players like from the inside in your experience? Well in terms of a manager speaking to you about players it's normally on international duty because a lot of fans I'm sure the, the clubs go into a lot more detail but you'll see someone on match of the day or a goal so you think oh he do, he do for us it's not until you've got that place and we do every single day travelling. What's he like as, as a, a team member, a squad member? What's he like around the place? It's not just the ability on the pitch. Craig Bellamy's a good one, similar to Suarez, where you'll hear reports of people saying, bad apple, don't go near him. But I always look at it at training and playing. Off the pitch, if someone is a bad egg or gets into trouble now again, you've got to balance out what they're giving you on the pitch. Mm. I call someone a bad egg when he doesn't train properly. He doesn't try in a game. Bellamy's a warrior every day in training. Mm. Trains, goes in the gym an hour before. Yeah, he's got a mouth on him and he'll question a manager. And he'll have an outburst now and again. But if I was a coach or a manager, the thought of trying to get someone to train every day or give 100%, whereas Bellamy's interested in football. Suarez wants to train every single day as an animal. Wants to play like his life depends on it. They're the people you want in your squad. You'd want them without the things they bring with it of course but I'd much rather have someone like that than someone as you mentioned before like Balotelli who you're struggling to get on the pitch you know that's that, that's what I want you know warriors in your team now it's easy for me to say I've never bought a player as a manager and every manager makes mistakes in the market I think it's probably the most difficult thing as a manager to get people in get the right characters in people always say oh we'll scout them properly we'll, we'll speak to the manager who's had them before this mm. everyone sees things indifferently yeah you know everyone I might have just said that about Craig Bellamy but you might ask Graeme Souness who's managed and we might go oh no not a chance it, yeah. there's no that's why I sometimes think in recruitment there's that many people involved in it now it's like I always think if it, you know when you have a scout he goes and watches a play and he said he did this well he did that well but I might be different I might not think he did that well I might think mm. that was wrong do you know what I mean it's I do know you've, you've, beauty's in the eye of the beholder and what are you originally looking for how good is your eye how good are your contacts? I, I suppose that comes from trust. You wouldn't have someone working with you looking for players if you weren't on the same sort of wavelength. I get that, but I always think I'd have to. I feel like I'd have to see everything. I read. I think it was in Michael Calvin's, but there, there's, there's a guy Barry Hunter was at Liverpool. I think a scout. Yeah, or, yeah. And there was an anecdote about they wanted Alexis Sanchez, mm. and they followed him for three days. Cafes, restaurants. What does he drink? Does he drink coffee or water or wine? What? It's probably why he's signed for Arsenal. He's getting followed. <laughs> I have bells on my boots and bells on my hat. I'm your jester, and thus, let's end in the court of King Eric. Thanks to Fergie's latest book, latest of about a thousand, we know that Manchester United were in for Peter Beardsley before they signed the legendary Frenchman from Leeds. Peter explains the possibility that he could have ended up back at the club where he had an unsuccessful spell earlier in his career. And who else? We'll end up with the classy Gary Mack recalling a Cantona overhead kick on his first day on trial at Leeds. One that he'd later use at Crystal Palace. And that fella deserved everything he got. See ya! It recently has emerged that Sir Alex wanted you, not him. Did you learn about this just recently like the rest of us or did you know at the time because the clarity is he said that absolutely for sure the fluke of Cantona coming along which was known that Leeds as soon as they were asking for Dennis Irwin and Alec went or Alec's secretary went you know we'll have Cantona off you and they were like yeah his target was you he wanted to yeah, sign I, Peter Beardsley I was unaware of it genuinely mm. I, I have read it since in his book I have read the fact that he did want me but I wasn't aware of it genuinely I did not have a clue I really did not have a clue because even though I'd had an experience of six months there, as you know, Graham, with Man United, for me, the biggest club. I have no qualms about saying that now, even as a Newcastle coach, player, whatever you want to call it. It was incredible. When I went there for those six months, it was incredible, I have to say. And, and they weren't at their best at that time. No. But as a club, 
everything they did for me in those six months was like a class act and they were incredible artists. Is that something that you've grown up with and you've assimilated by hearing the legends and seeing yeah, stuff absolutely. on TV or is it something different? No, is that about I think the... when I look at the way they were with me and Sandra, obviously we had no kids at the time, the way they treat us, you know, Ray Wilkins was vice captain then, Brian Robson took over the captaincy, but Ray Wilkins treated me like a king, really couldn't have been nicer to me. The way they looked after Sandra and I for the six months, it really was like just class. Everything about it, the club, players, staff, people within the club, it really was amazing, I have to say. It was an incredible six months considering I only played one game. Oh. If I had my life over again, I'd done the same. Even though it didn't work out, That's right. I 100% would have done the same. And I'm quite certain that given what you did and achieved, and you've probably got no regrets, but it, it is an oddity that the greatest club manager ever said that's the guy who can make everything tick, that can unlock things for us, that can be that creative, central when footballer. I've seen it since. I have definitely seen his book. We have so many football books in our house that I have definitely seen it. And obviously we just bought his new one in the last three months, whatever it was. Him saying that was just incredible because he, he was unbelievable, wasn't he, when you look at what he bought and what he produced. Tell me a little bit about what Cantona like. Is, is his arrival or well, his arrival? Is, is, a, is it overplayed a little bit? No, but yeah, overplayed a little bit. But huh. I, I wouldn't say his arrival was overplayed. His arrival was sensational. You know, I don't know if you know where, how the the sequence of events went. He'd arrived in the country. Platini obviously wanted him to get games. He'd fallen out with people in France. Everybody. So he needed to get to England. Gerard Hulley phoned Trevor Francis. So he goes into Sheffield Wednesday. Mm-hmm. But there's a big downfall of snow. Because of the weather permitting, they can only train indoor. The two days that Eric is at Sheffield Wednesday is on an astroturf pitch under, under the roof. Mm-hmm. So Trevor says, well, I can't make a judgment. You know, until you know, I see you on grass. I don't know if those words went down too well with Eric. <laughs> so he jumps, he jumps in the car and makes a few phone calls and I think the message gets to Howard. So he comes and trains at, at Ellen Road. So we go through the normal little training session and then we go to a wee bit of finishing. And within 10 seconds he scores a, an overhead kick, a hitch kick, you know, bicycle kick, whatever you want to call it. And everybody just looks at each other and looks at Howard and go, <laughs> sign on. Yes, please sign on. <laughs> How much do you get in life that's completely free, reliable, regular, good for your sex life and free? Yeah, the big interview. All of these, in their full form, and many more, are available if you search for The Big Interview on ACAST, that's A-C-A-S-T, iTunes, or usually wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Interview was the idea of Backpage, and it's produced by them. Thanks to Beer Jacket for the music. Keep up to date with everything that we're doing at grahamhunter.tv, where there's a little box where you fill in your email address, and if you sign up there... You'll get our newsletter, which includes the opportunity to put your questions to our guests. We're on Facebook, search for The Big Interview, and GH Podcast on Twitter, plus Instagram. Keep in touch, let us know what you think. More soon, baby.